final 15. It's not hard to make a case for them. But if you feel strongly they're not Hall of Fame players, you can recuse yourself Mm. and have somebody else make the presentation because you don't want somebody getting up there and and just talking negatively about somebody. And when, when I make my presentations, I just try to recite their case without sounding like I'm, I'm campaigning because our obligation really is to make the other voters aware of what the guy's career accomplishments were. And, and then, you know, the presentations are five minutes and then afterwards everybody else is allowed to speak up if they want. Um, there are 50 of us and I'd say half and never say a word in the meeting, which sit through an eight hour meeting and you don't speak up on any of the candidates it's kind of amazing to me, and I'm probably going to get myself in trouble for saying that. <laughs> Keep going. I'm liking this. We've about I'm a, we've... going down the ship. I'm not going to deal with you. You know. Um, we've about but, a minute um, left here, Gary. Yeah, I, I just want to say overall, I do think it's a fair process because yeah. we do discuss the candidates at length, which is different how they do it in baseball. They just get a ballot and check off names. Oh, here's one then. You know what? We're going to keep going. Here's one that really, okay. really bothers me. Is is I have always been under the impression in football, which differentiates this from baseball, is that it's only on-field accomplishments. And I've had people mm-hmm. around here, media people, say when it comes to Antonio Brown, and I'm no fan of Antonio Brown's off-the-field behavior, believe me. Mm-hmm. They say, well, he quit, quote, on the field. That was an on-the-field action, to which I say... You know, and I know, that the spirit of what they mean there is your stats, mm-hmm. your accomplishments during live right. action on the field, and Antonio Brown belongs in the Hall of Fame. That's how I feel. You? Well, well let, let me tell you this. Um, the case of Terrell Owens was fascinating, and it took him until the third year to get in. And I can tell you unequivocally, the reason he didn't get in the first two years is because he was, was a knucklehead and a locker room destroyer, and he's always ripping his quarterbacks. And, and the Hall of Fame, and, and this kind of surprised me, they were asked to differentiate between what Owens did on the field and what he did in the locker room, which is different than Lawrence Taylor off the field having a cocaine problem. And they said the locker room was an extension of the playing field, so we absolutely could consider how Owens conducted himself in the locker room. Mm. And that and that might have not come up the first year that they made that distinction. Who said that? Who second. said that? The people exactly the people running the Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I can't tell you. You know, the person that said right, it, but right. it was. It came up in our meeting, and it was during a meeting when we. 2020 was the last one we were able to do in person, and then COVID. We've been doing it virtually. We were supposed to do it in Atlanta this year, but. Um, if you, the, it was the middle of January and the weather was just horrendous all around the country and they feared people having trouble getting into Atlanta, so we did it virtually again. But it probably was the year or the year before Owens got in and they said, you know, it's okay to consider some of the shenanigans that he pulled in the locker room, you know, ripping his teammates, which to me set a precedent that will probably be applied to Antonio Brown. It hasn't come up with anybody else. And the interesting thing is when Owens got in on his third try, Randy Randy Moss got in on his first go-around, and you can easily make a case that Randy Moss was as or nearly as destructive in the locker room 
as T.O. was, you know, both in Minnesota and when he was with the Raiders. And then he basically talked his way out of New England, which was a huge mistake on his part because Brady loved throwing to him. Um, so in, in my mind, the locker room counts now because they told us it does. But if the guy got arrested 25 times, but he's a Hall of Fame talent, we've been told not to consider that. That is really, I'll tell you, surprising to me. And I really, my belief is that that opens up just an unbelievable can of worms because how am I supposed to know what a guy was like in the locker room other than maybe what I read or what people say? And what about other guys who may have not had reputations for being bad in the locker room, but I get word that they were. It's just, to me, that defeats the whole purpose of stats and stats only. Well, I mean, the thing with T.O. was pretty public. Uh, How he, the Niners couldn't wait to get rid of him. The Eagles couldn't wait to get rid of him. The Cowboys couldn't wait to get rid of him a year after giving him a contract extension. Um, so it was pretty well known what he was all about in the locker room. He, he criticized Jeff Garcia. He criticized Donald McNabb. He wore an all after Tony Romo, accused him of having, you know, the brotherhood uh, relationship with Jason Witten and only throwing him the ball. I mean, he was pretty destructive. And the Hall of Fame decided that counted because it, it translated to what happens on the field. So um, we had to take that into consideration. And that's why T.O. didn't show up in Canton for his induction. He did it um, uh, because one of the schools in Alabama, I think he went to, I can't remember off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but he, he held his own induction ceremony uh, at his alma mater, which was kind of bizarre, but... Um, <laughs> Well, a quick yes or no for the, to the last question. Have you voted for Heinz Ward? I have, but I might be wrong about this. I don't think Heinz has made it to the final 15, Mm -hmm. Um, but I have voted him to the 25 every year. And I voted him to the 15 every year. And again, I I don't think he's made it to the 15 because I don't remember. That's when they make presentations. Right. But I'll tell you this. You put Heinz Ward with Andre Johnson, Tory Holt, and Reggie Wayne. And those three guys, you know, have been finalists, not Heinz, but the other three guys have been finalists every year for like the last three, four years. I would take Heinz Ward over any of those three guys. So would Peter King. He was just on with us. I have to run, Gary. I'm way over time here. That was fascinating. And I appreciate you taking the time. Well, Joe, if I can just end it with this, because now people in Pittsburgh really love me. Um, my book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I promise you, you don't have to be a Giants fan to want to read this, especially because the Steelers players have had so many post-football uh, post problems in their lives, you know, life after football problems. And um, this is kind of a different generation than the 70s Steelers, who we know all about. Um, these 80, 86 Giants, a lot of them have really suffered, and I think people would – I can't say you enjoy reading about that, but I think it would be really enlightening to read it. And Joe, I thank you for all the time, and and this was a great conversation on my end also. I really appreciate it. That was, thank you. That was eye-opening and fun. Thank you very much, Gary, and good luck with the book. Take care. And now the cookie's not there, just call me on your own, okay? I will. Well, definitely. (laughs) Thank you. How about that? How about that? The ending, the whole conversation, but the end part, I mean, are people aware of this, that basically 
a version of the character clause has made its way into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I didn't know that. Did you know that, Sean? Don't call me Seth Myers. No, but uh, Gary just told me that he'll let me know if they kick him off the Hall of Fame voting committee. <laughs> they might have. I mean, come on now. I could go and point to some other guys who weren't. Hmm, we're going to continue this conversation. I'm going to. He's going to get kicked off the Hall of Fame committee. Then the the Joe Show isn't even the last one day here. If I keep going over time like this, fan weather brought to you by Sun Chevrolet. Check out special financing for qualified buyers on new Silverado 1500 trucks. Really warm. Some Sunday day high of 62. I'm going to rant about the Hall of Fame in Heinz Ward and this newly found character clause coming up next. You can join me. 412-928-9370. Is this going to keep Antonio Brown out of the Hall of Fame? And in the meantime, J.P. Roofing. Eh, he's in the Roofing Hall of Fame and the Siding Hall of Fame. Two different Hall of Fames, I might add. And uh, he's asked me to be his presenter. I'm going to read a speech for J.P. at the Siding Hall of Fame. I don't know when or where the ceremony is, but it's going to be a hell of a day. I know that. And here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to start off with this man and his mustache. Back in the year of 1983 or thereabouts, forged out on their own and built a business called J.P. Roofing and Siding. They had the guts to do it themselves. No bosses for these guys. They were their own bosses. And look at them now, 42 years later, nationally recognized, platinum preferred company, J.P. Roofing and Siding. They went to work on the savvy old newshounds house back in eh, circa 2017. They fixed the roof, the flashing, whatever that is, and the siding so that it didn't rain in his house anymore. And he never worried about it again. Let's bring up Joe and his mustache. Come on up here. Come up on stage and get take a bow, I would say. $500 off right now. Any roofing or siding installation at JP Roofing and Siding, give them a call. 412-829-7711. That's 829-7711. I'm still reeling from that Gary Myers interview. Sean, don't call me Seth Myers. I think he might be reeling from it for a little while, too. But, yeah, it was really, really <laughs> he, insightful. He revealed first that he doesn't think it's right that Bill Polian, Tony Dungy, uh, you know, Colts guys would be Hall. Was it Hall of Fame voters? I think so, yes. Because how are you not going to be? And he didn't question their character, but just putting them in position where you're voting on former players. That's what he meant, right? Yeah, and I think he brought up uh, Reggie Wayne, for instance, and how that might affect the candidacy of other receivers. If they're almost guaranteed to give their votes to Reggie Wayne, how does it affect some of the other guys like Andre Johnson, for instance, that he named, or Heinz Ward? Yeah, and we both questioned the idea of Tom Brady. I had no idea. That actually stunned me when I saw the list of voters for these AP awards last night. That Brady would be on there. He just he just got out of the league, and that's I, because he was supposed to be a, a TV analyst this season. Is that what we're to understand? Even though he he's well, not. I don't know. Do that I think they just year. want re- former players represented on there. I, I don't know what to do. What why? I don't know why he's on there. I just don't particularly like him and Brewski both being on there. And there's no. I didn't see any Pittsburgh representation on the whole list, which is odd to me. Let me look at the list again, because it's right here in front of me. For these major awards. I also don't think, by the way, TJ was a no-show at the awards ceremony, correct? 
I'm not uh, sure. I believe that I saw him tweeting immediately afterwards. So I'm yeah, I'm guessing. not sure that that was the greatest look for him. I'll be honest about that. Uh, not to go to the ceremony because I guess he felt like he wouldn't win the award. I feel like other people, if they had done that, would be absolutely shredded for it. And I feel like that's, I just don't think it's a great look really for him. I feel like Micah Parsons could have won that award. I just don't think Miles Garrett should have won it. I really don't. Now we've already been over that a million times. Let's get back to Gary Myers. Do you have the clip from when we talked, Sean, about uh, Antonio Brown and his possible candidacy? Yeah, let's uh, hold on. Kind of, kind of winging this, but we, I think no, no, we I'll, got it. Yeah, I'll set it up here. The breaking news here, by the way, is that I was never aware, and I read uh, my job is to be aware of what's happening in the world of sports. That's you know, you have one job type of thing. Keep track of what's happening in sports. I am not aware that that basically the rough equivalent of a character clause has entered into Hall of Fame voting in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and that the directive came from the Hall of Fame itself. Had you were you aware of that? No, I was not. I, 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 I don't think it's real. To be honest, I mean, there's people who probably look into this extensively, but I, I don't think at this point that's really public knowledge to, to be completely forthcoming i think it was kind of something that maybe he kind of revealed the uh, behind the curtains a little bit i'm stunned because i brought up and we were talking hall of fame candidacies and i brought up antonio brown and i think he's going to be kept out of the hall of fame because of off the field crap um and i include by the way let, let's say this non-playing crap like quitting in the middle of a game you know and walk into the locker room I was always under the impression when the Pro Football Hall of Fame and its voters consider on-field performance only, to me that always meant very obviously your performance between the whistles, and that's it. And once we tread into any other kind of ca- uh, category, any other kind of behavior, then we're, we're really putting a morals clause in there, a character clause like the Baseball Hall of Fame. We're considering things that shouldn't be considered. As I mentioned to Gary, I'm no fan of of Antonio Brown's off-the-field behavior. I don't think anybody would be. But this guy is a he should be a surefire Hall of Fame player. He might be a top-five receiver I've ever seen in my life. And if you want to talk about longevity, that went out the window at the Hall of Fame a long time ago. Terrell Davis is in. Tony Baselli's in. Patrick Willis just got in. If you're truly great, even for a short period of time, and he was, and it wasn't that short of a period of time, then you should be in the hall, and he should be. I was never aware that they that the Hall of Fame itself actually told voters, hey, you can consider this now, and by this, I mean what Gary Myers just revealed. We were talking about Antonio Brown, and then the topic of T.O. came up, and he had to wait a while to get in. Play oh, it, that Chuck. the spirit of what they mean there is your stats, mm-hmm. your accomplishments during live right. action on the field. And Antonio Brown belongs in the Hall of Fame. That's how I feel. You? Well, well let, let me tell you this. Um, the case of Terrell Owens was fascinating. And it took him until the third year to get in. And I can tell you unequivocally, the reason he didn't get in the first two years is because he was, he was a knucklehead 
and a locker room destroyer, and he's always ripping his quarterbacks. And, and the Hall of Fame, and, and this kind of surprised me, they were asked to differentiate between what Owens did on the field and what he did in the locker room, which is different than Lawrence Taylor off the field having a cocaine problem. And they said the locker room was an extension of the playing field, so we absolutely could consider how Owens conducted himself in the locker room. Mm. And that and that might have not come up the first year that they made that distinction. Who said that? Who second. said that? The people exactly the people running the Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I can't tell you, you know, the person that said right, it, but right. it was it came up in our meeting, and it was during a meeting when we. 2020 was the last one we were able to do in person. And then COVID, we've been doing it virtually. We were supposed to do it in Atlanta this year, but um, if you, the, it was the middle of January and the weather was just horrendous all around the country. And they feared people having trouble getting into Atlanta. So we did it virtually again. But it probably was the year or the year before Owens got in and they said, you know, it's okay to consider some of the shenanigans that he pulled in the locker room, you know, ripping his teammates, which to me set a precedent that will probably be applied to Antonio Brown. It hasn't come up with anybody else. And the interesting thing is when Owens got in on his third try, Randy Randy Moss got in on his first go around. And you can easily make a case that Randy Moss was as or nearly as destructive in the locker room as T.O. was, you know, both in Minnesota then when he was with the Raiders. And then he basically talked his way out of New England, which was a huge mistake on his part because Brady loved throwing to him. Um, so in, in my mind, the locker room counts now because they told us it does. But if the guy got arrested 25 times, but he's a Hall of Fame talent, we've been told not to consider that. That is really, I'll tell you, surprising to me. And I really, my belief is that that opens up just an unbelievable can of worms because how am I supposed to know what a guy was like in the locker room other than maybe what I read or what people say? And what about other guys who may have not had reputations for being bad in the locker room, but I get word that they were. It's just, to me, that defeats the whole purpose of stats and stats only. Well, I mean, the thing with T.O. was pretty public. Uh, how he, the Niners couldn't wait to get rid of him. The Eagles couldn't wait to get rid of him. The Cowboys couldn't wait to get rid of him a year after giving him a contract extension. Um, so it was pretty well known what he was all about in the locker room. He, he criticized Jeff Garcia. He criticized Donovan McNabb. He wore an all after Tony Romo, accused him of having, you know, the brotherhood uh, relationship with Jason Whitten and only throwing him the ball. I mean, he was pretty destructive, and the Hall of Fame decided that counted because it, it translated to what happens on the field. So um, we had to take that into consideration. And that's why T.O. didn't show up in Canton for his induction. He did it um, uh, because one of the schools in Alabama, I think he went to, I can't remember off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but he, he held his own induction. The ceremony uh, at his alma mater, which was kind of bizarre. But um, <laughs> what can you say? Well, a quick mm-hmm. yes or no for the, to the last question. That's all right with the last one. Um, wow is what I say to that. 
412-928-9370. That essentially means there is a character clause in, the, in, in voting for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Voters were told, according to Gary Myers, to, um, that the locker room is an extension of the playing field and that we absolutely could consider how somebody like T.O. conducted himself in the locker room. As I mentioned to Gary, this defeats the whole purpose of stats and stats only, which is the way it should be for the Hall of Fame. So I read that as, were you less than the ideal teammate? And you're telling me that doesn't open up a gigantic can of worms and, and makes things very vague? And How are you supposed to know? I, I mean, doesn't getting suspended make you less than the ideal teammate? Wouldn't having a drug or alcohol problem that affects your practice habits, coming in hungover, things like that, even if you're a great guy that everybody loves, wouldn't that make you less than the ideal teammate? I thought the same thing. Was about- somebody like Michael Irvin always the ideal teammate in that respect? How about John Riggins did some crazy things? We're talking, Sean, about the, the candidacy of James Harrison. Would it be taken now? May I take it into consideration if I'm a voter that he fell asleep in the middle of team meetings? His last year in Pittsburgh took off during games if he wasn't playing, things like that. And we're now to consider all of this, all of this, that the beauty of it was we just throw that crap away and consider what he did between the whistles. So now all of this is on the table? I guess you have to almost selectively say what counts as a distraction because to me, if a player gets arrested or something like that, that is a distraction for the whole team. So why are you discounting that? while saying if it happens in the locker room, then it's a big deal. Asking for a trade, ripping a teammate? Ben shredded Antonio Brown when he was here on live radio with us. And a lot of people agreed with what he was saying. Do we take that into consideration? Heinz Ward ripped Ben for not playing with a concussion against the Red. Like, what am I supposed to now put in there and leave out? I'll tell you what, though, this is a hell of a story. That, that the Hall of Fame told voters, according to Gary Myers, that the locker room is an extension of the playing field so we can absolutely consider how, in this case, T.O. back then, or whoever, conducted himself in the locker room. How the hell am I supposed to know how he conducted himself? Now, some of this stuff, like Gary said, yeah, it becomes front-page news when a guy rips his own quarterback. I don't think T.O. was the first to do that. Or when somebody asks out of a given situation, a lot of guys have done that. What no about, receiver's going to get wait, in wait, going wait. forward. <laughs> Hold on a second here. What about Tom Brady peddling himself to the likes of the Miami Dolphins against NFL rules, maybe? What about that? It, it kind of gives a, an opening for voters to be selective of when they want to apply it because, to your point, I don't think they're going to apply everything that every player that's in consideration has ever done as a detriment. They're going to probably look at maybe a guy like T.O. who isn't this sort of almost what baseball is, where if the writers like how they were treated or whatnot, you can sort of apply that now with this NFL standard of voting. That's exactly what I'm saying, man. This just opens up all kinds of things. And it should really be potentially something that factors in with Big Ben's candidacy. And then what about coaches who involve themselves in that kind of thing? Whatever that kind of thing might be away from the field, right? I mean, 
the beauty of it was it was very simple. What do you what did you do on the field? Very simple. That's it. Not in the locker room. I'm sure there's a lot of absolute jerks in the Hall of Fame, by the way, who are probably not that helpful in a locker room setting to their teammates, maybe even harmful, maybe even just jackasses, you know? That's big stuff. All right, what are we doing now? I've lost track, Sean. Please tell me. Well, uh, We have Willie Parker possibly at the top of the hour. How about them apples, huh? Fingers crossed. That would be great fingers to talk to him. Fingers crossed on him. Um, you know what? I have a, I have another rant here on, not really a rant, but a lot of thoughts on Marc-Andre Fleury and his departure from Pittsburgh and what Sully said about that. Can we do that next? We sure can. Let's do that. Fan Twitter brought to you by South Hills Kia, Peters Township. Visit them at southhillskia.net. Fan text line brought to you by Edgar Snyder and Associates Personal Injury Law Firm, where they always say there's never a fee unless we get money for you. The time right now, 1235. Time to call Shenderovich and Shenderovich and Fishman. Why pay 40% when you can pay 25%? Call 888-98-TWINS. And here's a voice from a long time ago, back when it was Cook and Joe. Yes, Joe, I want to talk about Mr. Rooter Plumbing. I'm running out of time to do that, but my enthusiasm for Mr. Rooter Plumber has not dimmed. It is Pittsburgh's best plumbing company. I've known Bob Beal for a long time, and I've watched him build a plumbing company empire. Going on 21 years in this market, uh, which is an amazing run in any market doing anything, and the reason Mr. Rooter Plumbing has lasted so long is because it's great at what it does. Write the number down so you have it. I don't care if you have a broken water heater, maybe a backed-up sewer. You call 412-ROOTER-2, 412-ROOTER-2. The website's really good, too. Check it out, MrRooterPittsburgh.com. As I said, uh, going on 21 years in this market, 50-plus trucks out on the road every day. I see them coming into work, going home from work. I'm sure I'll see one this afternoon. I can't recommend them enough. The number one more time, 412-ROOTER-2. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. Pittsburgh's number one full-service plumbing company, Mr. Rooter Plumbing. Let's take a quick time out here, Sean. Don't call me Seth Myers, And a little check-in on how we are today. This has been a very emotional week. It, truly, it has. I was with Ron last night at his uh, hangout spot, Domenico's. Wonderful people there. Don, Philippe, or Felipe, or Filippo. I don't know what his name is, really. I know it begins with Philippe. Wonderful man. Um, toasts at the end of the night. Tears at the end of the night. It was unbelievable. And I mentioned it was like, it was like cheers. Ron had a whole little ecosystem, a, a society of people that he hung out with. It was like it was like cheers. All these characters coming from out of the woodwork introducing themselves. It was his group of people. And at the end of the night he went around with a little basket and passed out tiny little bottles of whiskey and everybody did a shot. And then he and then and then he cried and then one one guy read a poem, I think. Somebody else had a quilt that they're giving Ron. So when he snuggles up with a beer in Florida, he can put a quilt around the both of them. I was going to say you might get overheated in Florida. I might, yeah, depending on the air conditioning. 
Um, what was I saying? Just that it's, it's it, like I said at the beginning, it's like the day after a funeral. This was the death of a sports talk show. So it's the day after the funeral, the day after the wedding, when you've spent all this time trying to distract yourself and trying to prepare and trying to make sure everybody's taken care of, and then everybody leaves, and then it's just you. And that's when it really hits you. It's hitting me today. I didn't see Ron's head, his partially balding back of his head when I walked up the stairs this morning. I didn't get the text from him this morning on show ideas. I didn't see him in here pacing around. I didn't see him say, Joseph, like my dad called me, Joseph, like that. All of that is hitting me today. I just wanted to acknowledge that in the middle of the show to keep it kind of real here. Okay? That is, uh, yeah, I, I second that. Um, so let's get to Sully. Let's get, there's so much to talk about. We haven't even talked about the Super Bowl. I feel like Gary Myers just, just re- gave us national news that a... I th- think it might become that pretty soon. The equivalent of a character clause entered Hall of Fame voting years ago in the form of the Hall telling voters what a guy does in the locker room is an extension of what he does on the field. And that's to be considered. But I a- didn't know that. But anything criminal or anything of that nature away from the locker room still doesn't count, which right. is a weird divide. Very weird. And again, it gets me to thinking about James Harrison. His teammates absolutely adored him. He wasn't a disruptive force in that way. But by the end, some of them were ticked off when he would do things like fall asleep in meetings and leave in the middle of games, right? So am I to consider that with James Harrison if I were a voter? I, I don't know. Am I to consider the guy who shows up, some, some talking like not him, somebody else, a different case, if a guy showed up hungover for practice or wasn't a good practice player? Does, did that affect the games? Because the argument seemed to be that if you're a divisive locker room force, it could affect you in games. And I think what the point you mentioned is that this is going to open a, a can of worms. And I think what you're going to see is just about every prominent receiver in the NFL now has had some sort of issues where they're calling out their quarterback or their offensive coordinator or demanding a trade. This is going to happen more and more if they continue to apply it to everyone, although it kind of seems like they're going to apply it to whoever they want, which is what baseball has been for, for decades now. Let's get to hockey, Sean. And apparently there's going to be some work happening in here. My friend Vic is now in the building. This is very exciting for everybody. He's going to do some repair work. Let's hope he has a drill and it gets real loud in here, Sean. Won't that be fun? Ron will really be regretting Ron leaving will be, yeah, a day He'll early. be very proud of this. Um, abruptly switching subjects, I should say. And by the way, we're coming up on the 50-minute mark on the fan. Brought to you by South Hills Chrysler Jeep Dodge Route 19 in Peters Township, celebrating 50 years in the South Hills. They're celebrating Marc-Andre Fleury's 1,000th game. This happened, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. His 1,000th career game, the majority of which were in Pittsburgh still. And the Penguins are in Minnesota. So it's going to be a very emotional evening. And... Mike Sullivan was asked about this yesterday, and I thought that this really sort of touched on the topic and it can it can be equated to some of the things we may see with the Steelers and have seen with the Steelers that when it's time for a franchise legend or just a popular player somebody like 
I don't know, a Cam Hayward in the next year or two. And by the way, congratulations to Cam in a big way again for winning Walter Payton Man of the Year. Just an incredible award for him. Really good endings are hard to find in sports. And Cam's not there yet, but who knows what happens with his contract, what he's asked to do this offseason, and the seasons beyond. You know, I think of Troy Polamalu. I think of Heinz Ward. I think of Flurry. It's just really hard sometimes to manage the business of sports with the emotions that surround good people who have been huge parts of your franchise, right? So I thought this was a great answer by Sully. I'm not sure exactly what the question was, but it seemed to be something along the lines of, you know, how was it managing the end of Flurry's Penguins career when he was supplanted by Matt Murray? Still won them a cup, by the way, by beating the Capitals. They wouldn't have won that series without Flurry, but then he was replaced again by Matt Murray. And then they had to make a choice. And the obvious choice, I don't care what anybody says now, the obvious choice was the guy, the younger, cheaper guy who had just won two Stanley Cups in a row. But for Sullivan, for people running franchises, these things are always very, very tricky. And here's how the coach answered that. Might be for the final time. We don't know what his status is beyond this season, but have you thought about that at all? And I'm wondering if you could go back to 2017. I know this wasn't your department. This was more with Mark andre and Jim at the time, but how hard was it knowing in that last year that it was probably his last season and with the expansion draft? Was it kind of awkward for you, and, and how much did you have to talk with Mark andre about it during that time? So, um, obviously, Flower means so much to this organization in this city with his contribution to the Penguins and helping establish itself uh, with the excellence that they've carried on here at, uh, during his time. And... Uh, was one of the most popular teammates, uh, I think, that, uh, that certainly I've, I've been around. Uh, just just a, a high-quality person, a, a, a fierce competitor, and has an incredible uh, body of work in this league. Um, you know, b- back on it, when you, the time frame that you're alluding to, there were some difficult decisions that, uh, that had to be made, um, with respect to that position and uh you know those those decisions were never easy you know even the decisions uh leading up through the stanley cup runs when you know we were utilizing uh both matt murray and flower um you know at at the time to to try to help us win uh win the stanley cup and and they both played such a key role in helping us do that so uh those decisions are never easy they're always difficult um Flower and I had a lot of conversations, as you can imagine, through those, through that process. Um, you know, those some of those conversations were some of the hardest conversations that I've ever had with a player, uh, and those decisions might have been uh, some of the most difficult decisions that I've ever had as a coach. Um, just because we think so highly of Flower, both as a player and also as a person. Uh, but as I said, I think, you know, Flower and I had a good relationship and, um, you know, we were very uh, straightforward and transparent and how we were going about what we were doing. Um, you know, I think, as I said, uh, during that process, it, those were very, very difficult decisions at the time. I know they were difficult decisions for Jim also. Um, so, but I, I do think that, um, you know, there was a lot of communication that went back and forth between Flower and, and us and, 
my hope is is that that flower will certainly be respectful of that. Pretty heartfelt, I would say, from Mike Sullivan. Some of the most difficult conversations of my career. And, you know, from youth leagues on up, a lot of times the balance for a coach is between playing time and, you know, sentiment, how you feel about somebody, you know? And those tough decisions have to be made, and a lot of times aren't made, I think. Whether we're talking about obvious situations like daddy ball or mommy ball in in youth sports, right? Where it's, it's a really strong, you know, emotional attachment to somebody where you're going to favor them over others who clearly deserve to play. And it extends all the way to college and then the pros where it's it's obviously not familial relationships. But an icon like a Marc-Andre Fleury, how do you sit down with him, you know, and handle it in such a way where you're saying, basically, you're being replaced. You've won cups here or a cup at that time and you're an incredible teammate and incredible player, but we're going in a different direction here. You know what I mean, Sean? It's, 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 I think it's a task that every single coach on earth at every level is going to have to face that in that, in that genre, that ballpark, you know? And the Penguins are so lucky that they've been able to keep the other three guys for their entire careers because that is such a rarity where you often see teams for salary cap reasons or chemistry or whatever, they have to let go of multiple legendary figures because it just doesn't work out. So the fact that they've kept Crosby, Latang, and Malkin, I, I think we should appreciate that. But Flurry was the one who ultimately had to go into a lesser extent stall. And it's never easy because both those guys turned out to be really, really good for many years after they left Pittsburgh. But I think everyone, organization, fans, they all understand how important Flurry was both on and off the ice. Yeah, the fact of the matter is that there was no choice at the time. There was none. And the fact of the matter, too, is that if you could go back and do it again, you'd pick Flurry. <laughs> I mean, right? He yeah, went on, I, he went on to be was... the better player, but you had a guy who had just won two Stanley Cups and who was much younger much cheaper, there was no argument for Flurry. No, at and the I think time. Even, there just wasn't. Even further than that, I think they realized that Jari was going to be a, a good goalie as well. So they thought we have two young guys if something were to happen with with Murray. So yeah, it was a, a clear decision. You were going to have to lose someone in that expansion draft and it just made a lot of sense. But at the time, no doubt that was one hundred percent the right decision. And it's also true that in a lot of ways Flurry won them that second cup under Sully. Ron tells the story of after game seven, because Ron had written, they're, they're not going to win without Latang, not this series and not game seven when it got there to Washington, that the coaches after the game, after game seven, like, how the hell did we win that series? I'll tell you how you won flurry. The Penguins got outplayed for the majority of that series, including the first two games in D.C., and he was unbelievable. I think it was the best playoff series of his career. He won them the cup in that series. But there was just no choice. You know, he went he went to Murray after that, and in the end, they did what they had to do. And it turned out pretty well for Fleury in the end, right? Yeah, I mean, he was he was great in Vegas. He's now a 
record-setting goalie who's still playing. So I think truly it's a situation where everyone can look back and understand the reasoning and respect the other side's perspective in it. Thank you, Sean. Top of the hour, let's hope, let's hope for Willie Parker. I think this is going to happen. If he doesn't pick up his phone on first try, we're in big trouble. I'll tell well, you it that worked right out now. yesterday when that happened with a couple of guys. It did. That's true. Fan weather brought to you by Sun Chevrolet. Check out special financing for qualified buyers on new Silverado 1500 trucks. Really warm with some sun today and a high of 62. Now we're going to get to that and then Super Bowl talk. I mean, I haven't even gotten to, to more Hall of Fame talk here on Heinz Ward compared to people like uh, like Andre Johnson and Torrey Holt. And how does Antonio Gates not make the Hall of Fame? Uh, are, are these people kidding me? More touchdowns than any tight end in history. That little sentence alone should be his ticket to the Hall of Fame. First ballot. More tight ends than anyone, more touchdowns than any tight end in history. And then there's the eye test. We all watched him play. He was unbelievable. He was great for a long time. I thought amongst modern tight ends, he was probably second best behind Tony Gonzalez. I just can't believe it. All right, Sean. 